Well, uh, go ahead and uh, get your notes ready. Around here, we like to take notes. I feel like you can kind of connect your mind to your pen and a piece of paper that uh, it helps some of this stuff click. We want to uh, not just show up here this morning, but we want to walk away impacted and changed and transformed. So we've been jumping off here with this thought all three weeks with this. And it's our, our lives are built by the choices we make. How we think and what we think about guide our decision processes. And then this week we're looking at the battle. Now the first week we talked about that our thoughts matter. So many times people can think, well, you know, what's going up on my, in my head doesn't really matter. You know, it's what I do that matters. Well, guess what? Your actions are birthed out of what you think about. That's where they're born. That's where they are created. And so our thoughts matter. And we begin to look at the Word of God and what God had to say about our thinking process and that it matters to Him. Last week, we began to look in the fact that Jesus even took like the, the Ten Commandments that was in the Old Testament and began to show that these weren't an outside doing thing. These were an inside thinking thing as Jesus began to show us how, how it was really about what's happening on the inside. You know, it's not just about the murder, it's about the hate that's going on inside. It's not about the outside adultery, it's about the inside lust. It's about the inside thought process. And we looked about the things we should be thinking on. Well, guess what? Once we understand that our thoughts matter, once we understand that there are some things we should be thinking on and we begin to work at that, has anybody noticed that we don't just automatically begin to think the right way? Has anybody noticed that? that maybe there is a battle to get from our old worldly way of thinking into stepping into God's way of thinking. There is this battle process. There is this, this life change. Now, we have authority in Christ even over, even over the, the spiritual realm that we can, we can bind the, the enemy, we can bind Satan and, and, his, and his demons. We have authority there. But, and th what's more difficult for us to deal with is what's happening up here. Why? Because that is something that's volitional. We can't just kind of slap ourselves on the head and say, okay, think straight. No, we have to begin to, be, to take God's word and apply it to our, to our lives. And so what we begin to do is understand that there is a battle taking place for our thoughts. And we need to take our thoughts captive so that they can serve Christ. And there is this process of bringing our thoughts into this place of where we own them and we have them under control where we capture them. We, I, I like to hunt and I get to expose my children to hunting. This year, my youngest daughter is nine, and she, Lulu, and she wants to go hunting, which is going to be funny because she's like the girliest girl ever. And she wants to go deer hunting this year. So I, I can't imagine what she's going to look like all dressed up in pink camo and and all that and she'll like put the little pink war paint on and and i'll be ready to go and so uh, um but I, we like to hunt so I, I think of this in the process of taking these things captive as the the hunting our thoughts of bringing them in and anytime there's this a hunt is going on there's some basic things you have to do you have to understand what you're hunting you have to understand the process you have to begin to pursue it on purpose and I, I, I've taken my two oldest boys hunting, and the one that I, I, we really worked the hardest with was Weston. 
And Weston, we just, he was getting this opportunity to hunt. We were going out, and uh, uh, me and Weston, father, son, and three other sets of fathers and sons, all of them going out to get their, their first deer together. It was an incredible experience. Well, we began to, to study this, these deer and, and figure out what they did, and we even got the, a video game, and we turned our, our living room into like this, like, it was like a field where we had to be totally quiet. We'd sit on the couch. We'd wait for the little deer to walk out. We'd whisper to each other. I mean, we were working it just like we were out there, and he'd sit there and, and get his little remote up and, and take his shots, and we were, we were preparing. And then we finally get out into the hunt. Why? Because it's time to really take it captive. He's really going to go out there and not just think about it, not just come to church and learn about the fact that there's a process, but actually go out and do it. Actually go out and get it done. So we go out. It's time for the hunt. He had gone out and done the target practice. He was hitting. He was hitting what he was aimed at. And we were sitting in this blind, and it was one of the sweetest moments me and Weston have shared. It was just awesome because we're in this cramped little blind sitting together. And, of course, in West Texas, if you're not from here, we totally cheat when we hunt. I mean, we totally cheat. We put yummy corn out on the ground. We hide in a little box where they can't smell us. We stick our little gun out, and we shoot them. It's really really sporting. It's awesome. And... um, Anyway, so we're up in this little, it looks like an outhouse is what this little room looks like. And so we're sitting there together, and it's just this little short shot, and this, this deer comes in. Weston is prepared, and now it is time for him to, to take it captive. And so he's sitting there, his little heart's racing. He's sitting there breathing hard. He finally squeezes it off. He makes the hit. The, the animal, though, falls over. And I'm telling you, his response was incredible. His response was classic. And he's sitting there holding the gun. And uh, I'm telling you, I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher. He really did this. And he goes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are worthy to be praised. I am not kidding. I am not kidding. That was his entire response. And it was just awesome. And we were just having church right there. In the deer blind, it was just incredible because he had actually done it. He had studied it. He had gone out and hunted it. He had executed. He had taken it captive. And then he gave thanks to God for bringing it into our lives. That, folks, in a nutshell, is our process on a day-to-day basis. The Word of God shows us what we should be thinking and how we can begin to to take these things captive. We actually get out and not just leave it in theory up in here, but we get out into the day-to-day life and say, you know what, in this area, in the area of my finances, I need to think this way. In the area of the way I deal with my spouse, I need to think this way and begin to put it into practice. And then when you have a win, you celebrate and go, thank you, Jesus. You really are worthy to be praised. And as we go through that process, we begin to take these thoughts, our thinking process, captive in our lives. See, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Remember, we talked about this in week one. What are these strongholds? What are these things that we're dealing with? We demolish arguments 
and every pretension that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We don't want to have any just wayward, loose thinking. We want our thoughts to be in line with the plans that God has for us and, what, and the, the purposes God has for us in our lives. So for us to do that, let's identify a few things that set themselves up against us thinking right. We have to make sure that we have <clears throat> set our, these things up. Why? Because if we don't, we're going to end up with the wrong results. The first one that we see is the traditions of men, also known as the things that we make up that didn't come from God. I tell you what, in this place of serving God and in church and Christianity, tradition, and I'm going to tell you, there's nothing wrong with any God-breathed, God-inspired tradition. There are things that are done on purpose that are types and shadows and help us to understand God. There's nothing wrong with us doing communion. It is a wonderful, blessed thing. It is a tradition handed down by God himself. I'm not being anti-traditional at all. What I'm against is the traditions of men, the things that we make up and put into place that aren't necessarily life-giving or God-breathed. See, Mark chapter 7 right here says, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to two, not according to what your heavenly father passed down, no, according to the traditions of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have to let go, <coughs> let go of, uh, you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions and then we jump down to verse 13 and he says thus you nullify my gosh that's a big word that jesus said you nullify the word of god make it of no effect by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that see so many times we can think we're thinking in the right vein because that was what i was told to think that's because this is this traditional place for me to think that the age-old story i heard years and years ago teaches it in my opinion the best and it's the story and this holiday time of of the 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 young bride is now she's it's her first time to cook the holiday ham and she's gone and she's got the ham and and she she pulls out the ham gone to the store and she she takes her knife and she whoop, cuts one end of the ham off. And then she flips it around and she cuts the other end of the ham off. And her husband is, looks at that and, you know, sees two chunks of ham get thrown into the trash. You know, that's some good meat, you know. Worked and he bought that stuff and she lops it off and chunks it in the trash. And he's like, what are you doing that for? Why are you, why are you throwing the ends of the ham away? Well, I don't know. Every time my mama made a ham, she cut this end off and cut that off and put it in the oven. 
She doesn't, you know what, I, I really don't know why that's crucial to the recipe, but uh, let me call mom. So she calls mom. Says, mom, um, you know, my, my honey here wants to know about, you know, why we cut the ends of the ham off. And, you know, you taught me to do that. And she goes, well, dear, you know, my mama told me to cut the ends of the ham. I watched her. She cut the ends of the ham off every time. I really don't know why. I don't know why it's critical. Let, let me call grandma. Okay, hey, grandma. What, you know, we, we cut the ends of the ham off. What's the deal? She goes, well, I always cut the ends of the ham off because my pan was too small. <laughs> and see, so many times there can be a reason that somebody did something the first time. That it was logical there was a reason. You know, that's why we can't begin to just try to look for some cookie cutter way to serve God and cut out the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to have the Holy Spirit speaking to us. You know, you can't look over here and, and look at Brandon Moore and say, well, you know, God's called him to, to be an accountant and he, he's blessed. Well, we're all, God wants us all to be accountants. No, that's what God's called him to for his life. Then we have to listen to God for our own lives. Yes, there are standards. Yes, there are things that are here in the Word of God that are for all of us. But any time we begin to try to put some traditions or some, some little recipe in and make that our equivalent of serving God and cut direct leading of the Holy Spirit out of our lives, we are going to make a mistake every single time. We will. Why? Because God has given us His Holy Spirit to lead us. We can't let traditions come in. Now, obviously, we're here. We're meeting in a movie theater. There's other movies going on. We are slightly non-traditional church. There are a few little non-traditional things we do. There's some things that are very traditional. That we we do communion together. We we hold the Word of God up as true. There were things that are very similar to us as was church, you know, a couple thousand years ago. But we're a little different than the other churches that, that, that meet. You know, we're pretty casual in some things or some, some other things that we do. But even though we are non-traditional in kind of our, our outlook on the way we do church, we can just as easily, we have to be careful, that we can begin to slip in and make some of these non-traditional things a tradition. We have to make sure that we are listening as a church, as individuals, that we are listening to the Spirit of God. And if God begins to take us in a new direction, then that has to be okay with us. It can't become, we've always done it this way. We have to make sure we allow God to lead us in this. The next thing that can get in the way is our own plans and agendas. Our own plans and agendas can totally get in the way of us really hearing God and thinking right. We get so set in a direction we want to go that it messes things up. Now, the greatest example of this, and we're, we're going to be picking on Peter today a little bit, but Peter's a big boy. He's, uh, you know, he's one of the apostles. Jesus, he, he's okay. Peter's not going to get his feelings hurt. But we're going to be picking on Peter a little bit today because I tell you, most of us can identify with St. Peter. Most of us can. So we're going to look here at Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? That's, he's referring to himself, to the Son of Man. And they replied, Some say 
John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus begins to take it home. And he says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter piped up. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Here he is. He was the first one to utter it, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, no person has given this knowledge to you. You got this knowledge directly from our Father, from God. This is awesome. So here he is. He has this awesome moment. He has this incredible moment where he's hearing from God. But then his own plans and agendas come in. And it's basically the next breath. We're going to drop down in here into verse 20. It says, And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. I mean, this is all in the same conversation. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Jesus is letting them in on the plan. He's let, uh, setting them up so they're not blindsided. Guess what? I'm, he's showing them out of the scriptures. He's bringing them in on the plan. I've got to go to Jerusalem. They're going to come after me. They're actually going to kill me. It's okay. I'm only going to be dead three days, and then I'm going to come back. He's letting them in on the whole plan. And how does Peter respond this time? And Peter took him aside, takes Jesus aside. Come on, Jesus, we got to have us a talk. And he began to rebuke him <clears throat> and said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter. Now, he just said, Peter, you're blessed. You did not get this knowledge from anybody. You got this directly from God. And now he, this is what he calls him. <clears throat> and Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, you misinformed individual. No. I'm telling you, he pulls out the big S word on him. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are, a you are a stumbling block to me. You're getting in my way. You're hindering me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. See, Peter had had it in his mind that G what the Messiah was about. That the Messiah was about coming in and setting up his king, overthrowing Caesar, and taking the Israel back. He, that was his plan. That was his agenda. That was what he saw happening. And Jesus comes in and says, it's not going to be that way. They're going to take me out. All that is going to be accomplished in a totally different way than you even think. Our kingdom is so much bigger than a landmass in the Middle East. I'm restoring something so much bigger and you can't get it. And he says, no, 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 never. And Jesus calls him Satan because he did not have in mind the things of God. He had in his own mind the things of men. That's why you and I, we can't get cocky whenever we've like made a good decision. Ooh, I've got this walking with God thing down. I'm good. All right. God begins to say something. Oh, you know, no, God, God, God. You forget who you're talking to. You know, 
I've made some good decisions lately. I, I just don't see it going that way, Lord. You know, let's go this direction. No, we have to stay completely dependent upon God. You and I are desperately dependent on God because our own plans and agendas will mess things up and totally get in the way of everything. So not only do we, do we have to make sure that we watch the traditions of men or our own plans and we begin to get wrapped up in our own little desires of the way things we think they should go. I tell you what, I've been tripped up by that one over and over and over again. And I found myself in some, some dumb situations that my wife just would sit there and hang her head and go, boy, why don't you listen to God? And then we also have to make sure that we watch out for this one, which is the influence of other people. Because even though we may know the right thing to do, so many times if we begin to be decide to be man-pleasers instead of God-pleasers, it's going to get us off track. And it's going to get us off track every time. Because so many times when man-pleasing isn't a proponent of the truth. Because sometimes the truth hurts. And we try to present it in a loving and tender way. But sometimes the truth just hurts. I, I love the quote from, from Albert Einstein. And he, was, he was, had already had his success. He was already world acclaimed. And a, a young colleague of his is introducing his family. And comes in and has a little 18-year-old child and brings this little 18-year-old child. And, of course, you've seen the pictures of Albert Einstein. You know, his hair's all everywhere and his, his big old mustache and everything. And he, he's, he's not like just a real, you know, normal-looking guy. And uh, so this little 18-year-old child is introduced to Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein bends over and the kid just starts screaming. And the kid just starts screaming and wants to get away. And... Uh, the, the father was, you know, uh, upset, you know, thinking that Albert Einstein's going to have his feelings hurt because his kid's, you know, rejecting him. And Albert Einstein just reaches over and pats the little 18-month-old on the head and looks at the father and smiles and says, you know what? That's the first person in years who's told me the truth about what they think of me. <laughs> because his, his success had tainted everyone's response to him. They were wanted to please him instead of be presenters of the truth. And honestly, to really stay adhered to the truth, it takes that childlikeness. That's why Jesus said that you and I, for us to really come in, if we're going to enter into the kingdom of God, we have to do it like a little child. Why? Because a little child will just tell it the way it is. Now, I said we were picking on Peter. And here is here Peter is, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, we, this, this is just an incredible, incredible piece of two scriptures that come together to paint how our hearts have to be in this place of being teachable and correctable. Now, um, Galatians is not, the, the, the books of the Bible are not put in chronological order. When we get through the Gospels and then we get into Acts, which tells us about what happens with the early church, and then we, we immediately get into Romans. Well, Romans was written a little later than some of the other epistles. And lots of theologians and people that are smarter than me agree that Galatians was the first letter written. That it is the oldest of the letters written. It's the very first one. And it was not written to a city. It was written to a region. 
it was like to the church in Texas. Galatia was a region, a, a big area. And uh, so Galatians was written, and it was a letter that was made to be circulated, and anybody that called on Christ in that area was supposed to read that letter and learn from it. This is very, very public. This isn't a little private personal letter like to Timothy. This is a very public letter. You have to have that in mind when we read this, all right? Now we're going to look at Galatians 2, 11. It says, and when, when we're talking about the influence of others, we have to avoid it. When Peter came to Antioch, and this is Paul talking, I opposed him to his face. Now remember, this is in a letter written that everybody's supposed to read. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, who was in Jerusalem, and the, the head of the, the, the church there, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, these people from Jerusalem that didn't hang out with Gentiles, they hung out with Jews. Um, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Those are the, those are the, the Jews. The other Jews would join him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy even, <clears throat> so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. Now you're going to have to just read this. We didn't have room in your bulletin. It says, And when I saw that they were acting in line with the, <clears throat> not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then? that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So here is this place in Galatians where, we, where Peter gets caught. This guy who's the, the, the head of the, the church here, where Peter gets caught in a place of hypocrisy. He knew the right thing to do. He had been doing the right thing. He'd been eating with these new believers and doing everything just like them. Not violating God or in, in any way. But some people who thought that they should not be eating with these Gentiles, with these non-Jews, showed up. And immediately Peter begins to backtrack and play the hip hypocrite. And Paul checks him on it and then writes the story in a letter that everybody is supposed to read. Now, I love this because Peter gives us the remedy for us to avoid all of these traps. <clears throat> that we must simply let God's word define are thinking now see approximately 17 years after galatians is written peter writes here which is also in our bible second peter 3 15 through 16 bear in mind that our lord's patience means salvation just as our brother paul also wrote you with the wisdom that god gave him so here he is he's you know paul wrote you God gave him wisdom. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other 
scriptures to their own destruction. Here, Peter, all these years later, he is referring to the letters that Paul has written. This is the first account we have of the, of the letters of Paul being referred to as Holy Scripture. And Peter himself refers to it as such. And he is openly rebuked in the oldest letter that circulated. It's not like Peter didn't know this one was out there. It's not like Peter, this one didn't get around. It's not like Peter had not read those words himself. And Peter says, that is the scripture. And we need to make sure we don't distort it or mess it over. That is what has to define our lives. Peter, even though it was tough, even though it challenged him directly with the way he had been acting, he was willing to adjust his thinking to what the scriptures said were true. So you and I, we must choose to make the truth that God has given us in his word be the foundation for what we think. We have to make that decision. And guess what? It's a little easier on us. I have read this multiple times and I've never had it found a place where it tells the story of how I was the hypocrite. There's plenty of stories out there. We could find one and put it in here if we wanted to. There's plenty of Brandon Clark messing up stories out there. But I, I didn't have to read that and say, wow, that's scripture truth. And Peter did. And he still held on to it and let it challenge his life and correct his thinking anyways. I'm telling you, as we read, like my wife said, this when we begin to deal with our thinking, we get challenged on every level. Why? Because it affects every area of our lives. But we won't really let it change us from the inside out until we choose to say God's word is true. I'm not going to hold on to the traditions of men. I'm not going to hold on to the traditions of my culture. Well, our American culture says this is okay. Who cares? What does the word of God say is okay? We cannot be influenced by our culture. We cannot be influenced by tradition. We cannot be influenced but by the truth written in the word of God and the spirit that brings that alive. And when we do, then our thinking will begin to shift and we'll begin to think in a right way with God. Now this morning, we have the opportunity to... Uh, to begin this process, and it only begins, the, the shift of proper thinking only begins whenever you have embraced the, the new life that is so free and ours in Christ. See, if we haven't embraced the life of Christ, we can't begin to have the mind of Christ like we talked about last week. All this is for and all this is, it doesn't make sense. You're an outsider looking in. But once you're an insider, all of a sudden the Spirit of God on the inside begins to help bring clarity to this and it's hard to explain until you have experienced it but it begins by saying you know what i'm a person in need of a savior i need uh, i need my sin my personal issues dealt with and jesus lived a sinless life and he died the death he said he was going to and he was raised just like he said he was going to be and he lives to give me life